This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Finding the perfect developer isn't easy. But at Upwork, we found her. She's in Prague, between the ideal cup of coffee and a truly impressive synthesizer collection. And you can find her right now on Upwork.com. When the world is your workforce, finding the perfect project manager, designer, developer, or whomever you may need tends to fall right into place. Find top-rated talent who can start today on Upwork.com. You're listening to the West MY podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Good evening and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, and serial YTK blogger, XWHU employee. Tonight, me and X have separated but still very much together as we use technology to deliver our top 10 most hated West Ham-related employees, consisting of either players or managers. X will be giving us exclusive news and views before ending the show with questions from our collective followers on social media. That's all coming up on tonight's show. This podcast is proudly in association with Pitch Sport Football, the app that allows you to interact with other West Ham fans, pick your starting eleven, and participate in fan time videos. This app is absolutely free, so like me and X have done, get yours downloaded. X, last week we named our worst starting eleven, and the respective interaction with followers on Twitter was brilliant, and I saw some really good counter-arguments. Do you stand by our selection, or would you make any changes in hindsight? Um, there was a few that I saw and I thought, yeah, how did we not think of that? One of them that I remember mostly was Zaza because yeah. like, I know we had pretty, like the forwards that we chosen were awful. So you, it probably would go with who we chose. But when you think about it, he was like, we, we nearly paid 20, 25 million for him. He was an Italian international. Do you remember that 
funny penalty he took in the Euros and stuff. Yeah. So he was he was like highly rated. We played for Juventus. And That's stuff. how I used and to then... walk to the toilet in Ibiza during the Code <laughs> yeah. Red story. That was before Code Red, was it? I think. <laughs> um, his, penalty, his penalty was about as good as your uh, your uh, your explosions. Uh, <laughs> and he, um, yeah, he uh, he was a massive disappointment. Um, and then, and then people were throwing names out there at us, having just re- read the sort of the tweet that you put out. But most of the people that um, that they mentioned, we had actually said we they just didn't quite make the eleven. Like yeah. a lot of people argued against Scaloni. They said that he only did one bad thing. Um, but mm. our, our argument for him was that he was just that one bad thing was just so crucial to our season. He didn't do a great deal else. Um, so that no. was why he got in and stuff. So yeah, I feel I feel I do stand by one of the ones that was argued most actually was our manager choice because in the end I persuaded mm-hmm. you to go with Rhoda. But I think a lot of people have gone with Grant, but I again I still think I stand by that with Rhoda yeah. because of the team he had. Yeah, I mean I started with Grant as you know, mm-hmm. um, but then I was I was sold by what you were saying about Rhoda, to be honest with you. And I think ultimately, when you look at the team he got relegated with, I just don't think you can look past that. It's unforgivable, really. And he wasn't very popular with the players either, was he? Or the fans. I mean, he was getting death threats at the time. So that was pretty heavy. Um, And I think, for me, Rhoda edges it. It's it's a close call. I mean, for me, some of the players... I was thinking possibly Carlos Sanchez for Cissé, you know. Uh, Because he's on so much money. I mean, that winds me up. That really yeah. gets under my skin. The fact that he's playing, you know, getting paid eighty grand a week, albeit we signed him for nothing, and he's just been a catastrophe since he's signed. You know, I think a bit of a similar story to Cisse, but without the the, the the same amount of money. To be honest with you, um, yeah. Gary Breen and and Roger Johnson, we went with Breen in the end, but we was debating Johnson, so I think that's a, a toss of a coin. And then maybe Tyrone Mears, I don't think was the name we spoke about as an option yeah. for Scaloni. But even so, I think I'd still stick with Lionel after what he'd done in the cup final. So I was still pretty comfortable, but I thought the interaction on Twitter was brilliant. And uh, mm-hmm. we thank the listeners for that. Mm-hmm. So um, this week we are looking at our most hated West Ham related employees. And we say that because this can include managers as well as players. Hate's a strong word. I have to start by saying that. Some of these choices are going to be, you know, dislikes or players that you didn't necessarily like at the time. Some are going to be obvious and we do hate them. But obviously, you know, there's only so many words you can use in the title when you're selling the podcast. So uh, so we're going to go with players or managers that we hated and it's a top 10. Uh, I know it's a bit harsh to cover this subject when last week we named our worst 11. But we thought <laughs> we do love be... the club, really. Yeah, we do. We do. We thought it'd be an interesting debate and we'll try and do something positive about West Ham next week to tip the balance. Uh, so we're going to be counting down from 10 and uh, both of us will be explaining our reasons why we've picked that person. Uh, and X will go and name his 10th. I'll name my 10th. He'll name his 9th. I'll name my 9th, etc., etc. So X, when you're ready, mate, give me your 10th choice. It was really, really hard to get the order right on these people because yeah. where, where do you judge hate? I mean, it's like it's not like kind of a, a Richter scale of hate, is there? So it was kind of hard to really sort of quantify how I was going to sort these into a into a sort of top ten or worst ten, whichever way you want to call it. Um, and obviously, some are managers, some are players, some are for personal reasons, some are for yes. obvious reasons. So it was a bit tricky to get the order to be ten. To be fair, and there was a couple that just miss it out and I'll, we'll talk about those later but yeah. I had coming in at 10th and it's interesting because we've already just talked about it, um, it was Avram Grant at 10 for me Okay, 
because I just thought terrible manager, as you've said many times, you know, as much personality as a lamppost, you know, it was just mm. no, nothing about him. Um, wasn't, didn't seem a particularly nice man. You know, he was a, uh, frequenting places he shouldn't frequent when he was managing West Ham from memory, allegedly, I think. Um, not that he's... Mm. <laughs> there's probably quite a few of our listeners that have done that as well, but uh, <laughs> probably not the thing you should be doing when you're meant to be managing the club. Um, and I think he just kind of scraped by on having got Portsmouth and Chelsea to cup finals and they just, just obviously relegated us and then Sam Allardyce did an amazing job to get us back up. But um, had yeah. he not had he not done that, then I think, um, you know, we would have been in this situation for years to come. And Grant was going to go in about January time until typically the board talked about their replacement, which was Martin O'Neill, too much in the press. And Martin O'Neill thought, well, why, why am I going to join this circus and turn it down? So then we were stuck with him. And, uh, and then he was famously sacked on the team coach and not allowed to get on it until the players said that that's not, not right. But yeah, right. Avren Grant for me. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I find it very hard to disagree with that. To a point where I've actually put him higher than you have, well, have you? Uh, and Fair I'll enough. and I'll come to that in a little bit. Um, in a little bit. Uh, okay, so my number ten is actually Roberto. Okay. Now he for me isn't just the worst goalkeeper in the history of West Ham. He's the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League, yeah. and I can't look past the fact that he has massively massively, some might argue single-handedly, contributed to such a stressful season for West Ham fans. Um, He's been at the subject of ridicule from West Ham fans when he's done something right or when he's done something wrong. Uh, And I've never seen that before. I've actually never seen it before with a player. You know, if someone's done something right to see such a rapturous applause, which was purely sarcastic, because... He's that much of a liability. And whilst he might be a nice person, this isn't anything personal. This is based on his playing days at West Ham, which I'm hoping are going to come to an end in the summer. Uh, he's my number 10. Well, funnily, I've got him higher. So he's Have in my you? top 10, but he's higher, mainly for the exact same thing as you've said. I don't think I can add to that, really. Like you yeah. say, completely destroyed our season. Um, like I said, I don't know him as a person. Seemed reasonably pleasant when you and I met him and stuff. So it's not a, it's not a personal thing, but no. it's just the fact that he completely destroyed this season. Who knows what's going to happen with this season in the end. But at the moment if it was to have carried on, um, we would have been struggling to stay up. And a large part, as you said, is down to him. I don't think there's been a more disastrous signing or player in our history. Um, And for that, that's why I've got him higher up. Interesting. Okay, mate. So for now, give us your number nine. Number nine is Rhoda. So having had that debate between Grant and Rhoda, I thought if Grant is... 10 more road has got to be higher because I argued that last week and I think he comes in at ninth for me again as I explained on last week's show relegated arguably one of the best teams we've had in modern history um, in terms of our, our players that were available to him. Yes, I know a lot of people said that Sinclair wasn't the same player after the World Cup, that the players were injured, that he had to play an Ian Pierce up front. He fell out with Decanio, etc., etc. But that is still his job. That's his management. He shouldn't have fallen out with Decanio. He should have made Trevor Sinclair perform better. That's what a manager has to do. And if Sinclair wasn't performing well, then he needs to drop him. You know, there's there's so many things that did that. Now, I've actually known Glenn Roder to 
work with, funnily enough, because he then went to uh, manage Norwich in later life. How he managed to get the Newcastle job after West Ham (laughs) and then secure the Norwich job after Newcastle. He must be bloody good in interviews. But when (laughs) I actually had, I say pleasure, I've actually met Rhoda twice. Once was at West Ham. Um, when I went to this sort of meeting with him at the club and it was the club were in near relegation and um, someone said, you know, we pray we pray every night, we stay up. Um, and he said, yes, please pray for me. Whatever you do, I want everyone in this room to pray for me and the club to stay up. And I, whilst I think it was kind of a joke, it was a bit weird. And then also I put my hand up and I said, Glenn, I don't think the Canio should take corners. I don't know if you remember, he used to take everything and um, mm-hmm. like they were no good. And I said, I think Carrick or Joe Cole would be better because they've got more whip on it. And he said, you try telling the Canio to not take corners. And I went, mate, you're the, you're the manager. Oh, that's your job. Right? And, then, and then I met him at Norwich. Um, so there was like a conference at Norwich as well. And some fella, I don't know, he was stood up and I can't remember exactly what he said, but he stood up and he said something like, similar to what I'd said, I don't think you should play this player, you should play this player, I think you should do this, and and Rhoda, bearing in mind it was like a fans forum or like a sort of, well, it wasn't really a fans forum, it was like a meeting with like people in Norwich like that had a, a role with the club and stuff, like he um, he basically said oh I must have missed your spell as England manager Um, once you've managed England come back and tell me and like, firstly, the whole point of this meeting was that he could answer questions <laughs> from from people. And second of all, he's never managed England either. So I don't know, <laughs> don't know where he don't know where he got that from. And he's then, obviously talking about Championship manager, isn't he? Well, yeah, exactly. I think he was wasn't he England's coach or something <laughs> under Hoddle, but he certainly didn't certainly didn't manage them. And I just thought, you're not a particularly nice man, are you? Really, like, uh, and um, yeah. And I think because of what he did to West Ham. That's why he he gets there. He not relegated Norwich as well. Relegated like almost like every club I think he's ever been at. He's got sacked. So how he managed to have a reasonably high profile career as a manager, I never know. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I hated Roder as well, and I'm gonna massively contradict myself now because whilst I put Avram Grant um, in this list, I didn't put Roder. But. Well, whereas last week I agreed with you that Rhoda should be our worst manager. So it's it's very contradictory, but I wanted to kind of limit the managers, to be honest with you. And I, and I see Grant and Rhoda so similar that I just wanted to go with one. And I'll come to my reasons why I went for Grant over Rhoda um, in a minute. So, yes, it's a bit contradictory, but there's reasons for it. My number nine is someone who I pray to God you've got because I'm desperate to hear you pronounce his last name. <laughs> and and that man is Manny on my in me. Oh, see, that's interesting because like when we were sort of talking about this roughly earlier, I threw his name out there, didn't I? And then actually, actually, stupidly, when I've come to write my top ten, I've forgotten about him now. I I completely understand why you're going for him because the, in the stupidity of the man cost us a place in the semi-finals of the League Cup or whatever it was. I've actually missed him out. Um, so, yeah. Well, you say that. I mean, the caveat to this choice is that there has to be some mutual blame. Oh, yeah, definitely. That. How the club never knew that he was cup-tied, I'll never know. Harry Redknapp to this day says, I, I, I didn't realise he'd played. I think it was for Gillingham, was it, where he was on loan? So, yeah, and he played um, like a minute or something, or 10 minutes and didn't yeah, touch something, the ball, was it? Exactly, something ridiculous. Uh, and you can say, how the hell as a manager or, or as a football club did you not know that he hadn't played for someone else and he was cup-tied? 
you can argue that. What you can't argue is that Manny or Moimi didn't know himself that he played in that game because he was the one that fucking played in it. <laughs> so when he was chosen for the squad, at what point did he not think, Gaffer, I've already played in this competition. Just so you know, I, I don't really think I should be on the bench for this game. And and what, what annoyed me, and I think this choice is really fueled by frustration because, as you know, every West Ham fan out there is craving to win a cup competition. Absolutely craving it. And after that night, we thought we was well and truly on our way because we were then, you know, a, a couple of games away from, from you know, silverware. Uh, and to have that taken out of our hands by something that was so stupid we were lucky enough, really, in my opinion, to get the replay at home. Yeah. We could have had that played away and would have been even tougher. Lo and behold, we got the replay at home, which I thought was fortunate enough, and then we went on to lose it. But the <laughs> reason I think we really, really missed out that season has to come down to Manny Omoy in me. And, and what's annoying as well is that he was a player that went on to do absolutely nothing for West Ham. If it was mm. Paolo Di Canio at the time, you know, you could let it slide because of what he then became to be to West Ham fans. But Manny or more in me. I mean, I think he played six minutes in that game as well. Yeah, six yeah. minutes of stupidity that you can't take back. And it was just a, another frustrating reason why this club haven't won a trophy in 40 years. So Manny, actually, Manny's my ninth. OK, I was actually at the game when he scored two goals for West Ham. Can you remember what game that was? Uh, no, I can't. It was away at Wimbledon, and he scored. Was it Crystal Palace? No, it was Crystal Palace. It was at Selhurst Park. Away, uh, was it? Oh, I can't remember now. I've been there to be trying to show it off. I think it was Crystal Palace, um, and he scored two goals when coming on as a sub. And I actually thought, you know, this guy's all right. But as you say, that was literally it, and he'll be forever remembered. Basically, getting us kicked out of the cup. Um, it's just such a West Ham mm. thing that though. That's the West Ham way. Exactly. Has a, has a has another club ever done that? I'd, not that I can remember. <laughs> anyway and then to go and lose the replay is so <laughs> typical um, oh, yeah I, I kind like of it. I kind of yeah I kind of regret not putting him in now but that was that was more forgetting rather than out of choice and now when I say who my eighth player is it seems a little bit harsh considering that Manny <laughs> hasn't made it so <laughs> go on all right so so my eighth player is Florin Radachoyu now okay. I don't think you're going to have any players that's as harsh as my number eight, but yeah, I'll let you continue. Okay. Uh, well, well, wait till you hear who just missed out on the top ten. That is going to send shivers <laughs> down our audience when I tell you who that is. He just missed out. I thought, I can't put him in purely because of what he did for West Ham, but it's what he did to me. But I'll say that afterwards. But the reason yeah. I put Florian Redditoy in, there's a number of factors. Firstly, we signed him. He was a record signing at the time. I think it was about 2.3 million, which in those days was a lot of money. Um, he came with a massive pedigree of like having scored in the World Cups and you know, in I think he was playing in Spain maybe for Espanol or something like that. And he he came with a really good track record. I thought we've really got a top class striker on our hands. Started off all right. I think he got a goal against Sunderland and Manchester United. I think. Um, but I think within his first few days in pre-season, he got smashed with an elbow from... I, now, I've got the name John Gittins in my head. I don't know if I thought he was a git at the time, which is why that's <laughs> in my head. But playing for Torquay. Now, I can't say if that's actually factual or not, but that's the name floating around in my head at the moment. And I think it put him off English football. And then, obviously, we had the away game at Stockport in the cut where Ian Dowie famously headed that own goal and he was yep. um, refused to play and was in Harvey Nichols instead yep. and um, 
I just kind of think to myself, it was just such a disappointment, that much money, and the fella can't even be bothered to turn up and play for us. And then obviously we shipped him off to wherever it was that he went after. I think he might have gone back to Espanol or there via someone else. And um, yeah, just a massive disappointment. I, I, I contemplated having a Margas as another one, because again, he was mm. very similar, brought in as a World Cup player, you know, dyed his hair red, I think, for us at one point. No, I think he went missing, jumped out of a hotel window, went mm. back to Chile, and then uh, and then <laughs> went missing and then came back and dyed his hair red and actually Clara and actually played a few games for us and funnily with him if you go to Chile apparently he's got hotels there and if you say that you're a West Ham fan he lets you stay for free whether that's actually proven or not I don't know but uh, do you have to exit so, through the hotel window yeah possibly but uh, <laughs> maybe if anyone uh, out there has ever, ever stayed in Javier Marcus's hotel they can uh, t- tweet us on Twitter and let us know but yeah for me eight is Florian Radicoy Interesting. Okay, so I'm not comfortable with my choice at number eight, but I feel it's got to go in there to bury some demons and to get some closure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I guarantee that this man I'm about to mention won't be in anyone's top ten on the planet, okay? But that man is Don Hutchison. Deadly Don, and I'm so sorry about this. Let, let me explain why he's Mate, in Mate, you've right? been pestering him to come to our events and well, stuff. This, yeah, but see, this is, again, the caveat to this is that after, well, I was going to s- explain after I'd, uh, I'd um, told you what my choice was. But, yeah, so, look, I, I've spoken to Don recently on a few occasions. Lovely, lovely, lovely fella, and will be doing a pre-match event for us. He's agreed it. Uh, it's just all about timing. So he's a real lovely fella. However... <laughs> Back in 94, 95, I think. It was definitely during his first period with us. Uh, those were the, the good old days where you'd go down to Chavalief and watch the players train. Um, yeah. And then at the end of the session, all the kids would run on with their autograph books and then go and meet their heroes. And 99.9% of the players that I'd met were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, you've got to remember, I've got to be about 10 or 11 at this time. And I've run on, got a couple of autographs. And granted... Don was talking to someone, right? And it wasn't a fan, it wasn't a bystander, it was someone to do with the club. So I don't know what that conversation was about, but I've walked over to him with my little autograph book on my own. And uh, and it must have been the excitement and the adrenaline of a typical 10, 11-year-old going up to meet one of his heroes. I interrupted the conversation, right? Which in hindsight, you shouldn't do, but I did. His reaction was, for fuck's sake, and he turned round to me and he went, can't you see I'm fucking talking? <laughs> and I swear to God, my fucking jaw hit the ground. I think I might even have dropped the autograph book in absolute shock. And from that moment onwards, I turned around and just walked back to the touchline. He didn't stop me. I just walked straight back to the touchline. Obviously didn't get his autograph. But from that day, I had a real issue with Don Hutchison. Did you cry? So, that's a personal thing for me, huh? Did you cry? Be honest when you were trudging back. With guys, unquestionably, <laughs> I was shell shocked. I was absolutely shell shocked. I don't think I could talk for about twenty minutes, and uh, I was gutted. So for me, that's a personal thing with Don. However, and just to reinforce the point, he is a very, very nice man, and no doubt will be as mortified to hear that story now as I was back then. And he's uh, a top fella, Don. But back in that day, yeah, he was an absolute prick. <laughs> so he's my number eight, and and I think. I think that's as controversial as it's going to get for me. But yeah, uh, well, I it's going to be as controversial as the players that wait till I drop my one that's eleven. <laughs> but, but that was uh, very much 
It was very much a personal opinion of mine at the time, based on a conversation, if you could call it that, that I had as a 10-year-old. But do you I don't have any grudges, but this is definitely closure for me. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you remember when, um, like, one memory I've got of going to West Ham in the early days is, like, I mean, yeah, Hutchinson must have joined maybe in my third season of going to West Ham, fourth season. Well, it, yeah, it must have joined about 94, mustn't they? I think 94, 95, and I started going in about 1990. Um, so mm. all I remember is, you remember the commentator, he used to read through the um, West Ham t- team, and he'd always say something like, and uh, this is the team for the rip-roaring, goal-scoring hammers, number one, <laughs> Ludic McCroscoe, and then he'd go like, uh, something like, or whatever, number two, Stevie Potts, or number yeah. four, whatever he was, and he'd go through, and he'd get to Don Hutchinson, and he'd always go, number 10, deadly, Don Hutchinson. Yeah, like that. Yeah, and yeah. I can just remember that so clearly. Those are the days of uh, Super Sponge. Do you remember him? Yeah, of course. Yeah, like, Magic the, Sponge. Yeah, Magic Sponge or whatever it was called. Yeah, on the screens whenever there was <laughs> <Yeah>. an injury. <laughs> and the fans would go, Whoa. Yeah, yeah, so true. That was a miracle work of that little sponge. It was, it was such a hero. And like they had like animations for corners and things like that, didn't they? And like cheap sponsorship, you know, corner (laughs) kick taken by. Roy's Greengrocers in East Town. To be honest, back in those days, I think Roy would have done a better job at some of them corners, I saw. Probably, probably. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so yeah, that is random to have Donnie. I think I've met Hutchison a couple of times and he's always been all right to me, maybe. Yeah, he's as good as gold, mate. He's good as gold. But yeah, that was bang out of order that day. Well, to be Uh, honest, though, you were a bit of a prick when you were 11, weren't you? (laughs) That's probably deserved. (laughs) That was probably the first time in my life I ever actually really questioned myself, to be honest with you. Was that my fault to this day? It's stuck with me, so, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, right, number so seven for you, mate. Right, now this is going to be really controversial in the sense that he probably would be higher in most West Ham fans' list. But And uh, when you hear that Roberto's actually finished higher than him, you definitely think it's controversial. But um, I've gone seventh place and I've gone for Frank Lampard. Now, I was at, I was at a point where I almost left him out of the top 10. Now, that would obviously be like very controversial because most West Ham fans have him right up there. And I accept that he didn't handle himself too well after he left us, you know, kissing the badge of Chelsea, saying he wanted to relegate us. It was a real thing between him and us when he first left. But... I actually knew Frank Lampard when he was at West Ham. I was talking to Neil Finn when we had him on the show. It's a house party with him and Neil Finn and random people because they're a couple of years house older than me. House party friends. Yeah, exactly. House party friends. Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I actually knew him and he was a good lad then. And so and I've been out with him a few times and then obviously he played for West Ham. He kind of drifted apart a bit and then, then he went to Chelsea and all of this happened and stuff. And like, so I did hate him. I, you know, I can remember when he got sent off in a game against us um, uh, at Upton Park. It was one of the funniest things ever. And it was a harsh red, I think, as well. And obviously when Jimmy Walker saved that penalty from him, I was there as well, cheering and so on. And, I, and I've never really, you know, at the time, I really hated him. But, but did you hate things... him when he was at West Ham, though, X? When it what when it no not well. I was you caught up in the hype? Was you one of those people that was slaughtering him week in week out? And if he was, was I'd like to know why. Yeah, I thought he was overrated. I'm not gonna lie. I thought he was like 
I thought he was obviously got goals from midfield. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Kevin Nolan, that he scored goals, which is obviously massively important, but didn't really do a lot else. And I seem to remember thinking he could get more involved and he could run around more and he was a bit overweight and blah, blah, blah. So I wasn't like massively against him. But then on the flip side, I didn't think he was as you know amazing as everyone was making out, which he obviously proved me wrong. But the reason I was reluctant to put him in is because... Uh, without meaning to harp on like me and Frank Lampard, our best mates, like I know him now, not like as a very, very close friend, but through people, I know him like someone I went to school with knows him very well. He's actually a really, really nice fella, like a really, really good bloke. And like, you know, the opposite to what you say of Don Hutchinson, he's got a, a lot of time for people. He's actually very decent. You know, his dad runs the Nightingale pub in Wanstead. You know, he's a he's a West Ham legend. You know, when we interviewed Harry Redknapp and Harry Redknapp said Frank Lampard, you know, just grew up a huge West Ham fan, always in his West Ham kit. Part of me started to feel a little bit guilty for the hate that he's received. Now, you can't forgive what he did um, to West Ham and the way he sort of re- reacted with us afterwards, although I do understand kind of why he did it, because of the abuse he did get and the fact that his uncle and his dad were sacked. Um, so I've kind of... But if you can understand of... it, why can't you forgive it? Um, I can forgive it. This is why I've kind of stuck him in there. I've almost stuck him in there because I know everyone else hates him and I know that it's kind of like the West Ham thing to do to hate him. So I've kind of almost been peer pressured into putting him into, into seventh because, as I said, if you'd asked me this like 2002, 2003, 2004, I'd say, oh, yeah, Frank Lampard can't stand him, hate him, blah, blah, blah. But since then, and the things I know and the people I've met and stuff does seem really, really harsh. And obviously he went on to prove us all completely wrong when we when we were saying he wasn't that good by becoming one of uh, two, you know, becoming Chelsea's all-time top scorer and well, like, one of England's most cat players. So, yeah. So, for me, yeah. he got seventh. Well, I think even more controversial than that is that he hasn't made my top ten. Oh, really? And I do think that's more controversial because you're quite right. You know, there's a, there's a song about Frank. Everyone just publicly hates him and, and always has done. But I've got a real issue with that. And uh, now I don't know Frank and I don't have any connections to him. So there's no reason I'm saying this other than my genuine opinion. But as you rightfully say, he grew up a West Ham fan. Could never, ever be seen without wearing a kit. So he was categorically one of our own. He was also one of our own whose dad was a West Ham legend. Now, for that reason alone, you know, second highest appearances for West Ham ever... When his boy comes through the ranks, you've got to get behind him 110%. Well, this is why it's so odd, because you think about... Um, uh, what's his name? Martin? I forgot his first name. Now the yeah, exactly. Are. David yeah, Martin, yeah. Yeah, that's it. You're David Martin, that's it. You think how much, like, the Chelsea game, West Ham fans got behind him. A, because Roberto was so shit, but also because he was Alvin Martin. So. But, yeah, exactly. And, and this is a, a dream come true for him and his dad. And to watch that love for West Ham get sucked out of them by West Ham fans, I think it's a heartbreaking story. And the thing is, you know, you can say whether it was justified, the stick he used to get years ago uh, when he was playing for West Ham. You know, I don't think he had time to develop uh, and and show glimpses of the player that he he could become. You know, I I don't think he was that bad for West Ham. 
in memory, all right. He might have had a few games where he looked a little bit overweight, etc., etc. But he was always prepared to play. He was never missing. Scored some decent goals. Created some decent goals. But because he was, he had family ties to the management of West Ham. It just looked, it was constantly ridiculed for it. And the thing that needles me about this is that the human aspect of you, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's Frank Lampard, even if you love West Ham, let's say I played for West Ham now. And my dad was a West Ham legend and he was part of the management staff there. And week after week after week after week, I'm prodded with a stick, prodded with a stick, prodded with a stick, treated like shit. And my dad sees me treated like shit. Sure as anything, you're going to react. It's human nature. Especially when you think it's unfair, like Frank Lampard Sr. would have thought, because they were constantly busy telling West Ham fans that this kid has got a big future in the game. But rather than show a bit of patience and a bit of loyalty to Frank Lampard Sr. and get behind this kid, we just decided to slam him week after week and drain the love of West Ham that he had out of his veins. Well, and I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed by that. And, and, and ultimately what happened was the lack of patience that we were prepared to show him bit us in the arse because he's, he developed into one of the best players this game has ever, ever seen. And well, yes, he said some stupid stuff when he joined Chelsea, but can you really fucking blame him after all the shit that he's had to take? Can you really blame Frank Lampard Sr. for not wanting to do a pre-match event for us? Or come yeah, on our I mean, podcast? Because he is like, fuck West Ham. I've given my life to you and I gave my boys life to you and you shit on both of us for no fucking reason. So I really strongly feel, and I know I'm in the minority, that our treatment of Frank Lampard was embarrassing, to be quite honest with you. And he's nowhere near my top 10 for that reason. That interview that's famous now on YouTube where um, Harry Redknapp was doing a, like a fans forum thing. And Fra- I think Mark Reaper might have been there and Frank Lampard's there. And there's someone called Peter Story, who apparently yeah. sounds exactly the same as me. The amount of people <laughs> that have messaged me. Asking it does me a little bit. Pe- yeah, well, the thing is, Peter Story would be about. Well, he must be about 70 now, I'm guessing. So, like, if you actually saw me, I'd like to think I'm a bit younger than that. But um, I'd look a bit younger than that. But, yeah, if you remember back to that interview where some fan... Now, apparently, that fan, that person that asked that question was actually one of the dads of the one of the players he said that should be in the team over it's Lampard. Cannon. Yeah, that's it. Scotty Cannon. Scotty Cannon's dad, apparently, was the one that asked the question. Right. Um, and um, so obviously he so he had a bit of family bias by asking the question to someone who was apparently giving family bias. But anyway, you see that interview and it is absolutely awful. You know, Lampard's sitting there as a 17, 18 year old um, and he's got that fan saying that to his face in front of an audience like that. Must have been crushing when you've just broke through to your, you know, your boyhood club and so on. And I think you know, the fact that Redknapp said something like, mark my words, this guy would go right to the top, right to the very top. And I'm actually pleased for Lampard as a person and for Redknapp that they were proved to be right on what they said. Because, you know, he mm. did. He did get to the very top. Then he come second in the Ballon d'Or or something one year um, and only lost to, like, Ronaldo or Ronaldinho or someone like that. Yeah. Chelsea's all-time so, leading goal scorer in his midfield. From midfield. <laughs> Incredible. So, yeah, so I think, so for me, I put him in, but I think mine was more peer pressure because I know West Ham fans would have him in their teams. But I think, yeah. as I said, for, as a person, he definitely doesn't deserve it, which actually takes me on to my next person. Who I feel well, hang on a second. Of... Hang on. So my number seven oh, yeah, sorry. would be Avram Grant. 
and you've oh, already no. covered that. I've obviously put yeah. them a little bit higher than you. Yeah. Uh, for me, absolutely infuriating to watch. No motivation at all. I mean, I go back to the West Brom game as an example. We were 3-0 down. I was there. And then it was the game where we drew 3 all and actually could have won the game at the death. And it was quite a famous uh, story that at half time there was this almost Braveheart speech from Scotty Parker that just galvanised all the players which ultimately turned in a fantastic second-half performance and got us the point. But the whole time he was doing that, Avram Grant's standing there doing fuck all. He was absolutely clueless. I mean, he's, I don't want to get personal now, but the way he looked and his whole demeanour, when when the ship is sinking and sinking fast, was just beyond infuriating. And I remember Wigan away just after West Ham absolutely fucking obliterated the toilets. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Urinals were smashed off the wall, toilets same, electric hanging from the ceiling, pipe work. It, it looked like a bomber, did it? West Ham fans, myself included, were absolutely furious. And we're sitting on the coach, the uh, the fans coach, to go home. And the biggest cheer was when we found out Avram Gantner got sacked. It was just like... Whilst we'd just been relegated, we knew a fresh start was coming and the weight was lifted off our shoulders because there couldn't have been a West Ham fan out there that didn't hate him. Yeah, he was awful, um, wasn't he? So he's my number seven, slightly higher than you put him, but uh, he's my number seven and I now want your number six, please. Okay, now this guy, again, I think will be higher in most West Ham's um, list. Um, this is a fella that I happened to bump into in, in Time Envy nightclub in Romford. And uh, we were dancing away. And I said to him, listen, mate, don't Fancy leave West Ham. <laughs> score the goals. keep Get us back up to the Premier League. You'll be a hero. And the next day he went and joined Tottenham. And I think was probably out celebrating the fact that he joined Tottenham. And he was like, yeah, mate, yeah, no worries. I'll stay. I'll get those goals for you. And then the next day he left. And that person's Jermaine Defoe. Now, obviously, he handed a relegation request the minute we got relegated, which was shocking. Um, when he played for Tottenham, I absolutely hated him. You know, I remember him scoring at Upton Park once and just seeing his smug face and being so wound up about it. I really, really didn't like him. But again, as the years have gone by, I've got to know him. When I went to Baz did a charity boxing match um, last year, I think, and he was one of his ring walkers to the, to the fight. So I spent quite a bit of time talking to him. And he was a really nice fella, really was desperate to join West Ham. He kept saying, I really want to go back to the club. I hate the fact that I left on those terms. I was stupid. I want to go back. You know, he's been linked with us many a time to come back. He said in the press he wants to come back um, for whatever reason. It hasn't happened. Um, and so that's that's kind of why he's kind of floating in the middle for me because again if you'd asked me five years ago i'd have been like yeah you need to he's awful what a prick but also what he did for that bradley bradley lowry as well um when he was at sunderland showed he had actually had a nice heart in there and you know that made that little kids like small life so worthwhile because of the friendship they had um Mm. I uh, kind of respect him a bit more after that. So it's hard. It's a very similar story with Lampard. So because of that, because he's been a better bloke in later years, it's excused him being higher up. But then I can't excuse that he put in a relegation request when we got relegated and went on to play for our biggest rival, one of our biggest rivals twice, scoring loads of goals. So, yeah, that Defoe is that man. Okay. Um I'll come to him in a second. I think you'll find my number six is Joey Beecham. Now, okay. whilst whilst Joey never played a competitive game for West Ham, yeah. 
what a wasted opportunity. You've just yeah. been signed. I think that might have been up there as a record sign at the time as well. It was it around was, a million mate. pound or something like that. Well, um, I've got him higher up in my list because oh, I'm probably okay. what you're going to say. Interesting. So. I think he would have been higher if he would have played and then meant something to West Ham and then gone. But for that reason, he's probably stuck at six because he, he didn't. He didn't kick a competitive football for West Ham. But, but... What a wasted opportunity. The frustration I almost feel for him. You're coming from Oxford and you're having a wobble about playing for West Ham United because reportedly the traffic is too much trouble. I mean, it's just incredible. And and what infuriated me about him at the time was that whole saga made West Ham a laughing stock. Yeah, and also Billy Bonds, West yeah. Ham's biggest club legend, like signed the player and Billy exactly. Bonds apparently. So Joe Beecham, like, you know, came into training and said to him and Redknapp, um, I made a mistake, uh, blah, blah, blah. And like when I was talking about his journey from Oxford, I think Redknapp mm. told the story on our podcast and he mm. went, no, you didn't. You wanted to take this junction, that one. And I thought they meant about his actual Root yeah, choice, but um, yeah, it turns out he meant that it was too far to come from Oxford. And when you've just said that to the like the club's biggest legend, who's just played over a million pound for you, um, possibly our first ever million pound signing as well, if I remember correctly, I might be wrong, but possibly. Um, and um, and he goes on to treat the club and the manager with that little respect. And it wasn't long after the Red Nap, uh, sorry, Billy Bonds then left. So. You know, did that? Did this play a factor in it? Maybe you know, undermining the manager that much. We ended up having to sell him on to Swindon and getting Adrian Whitbread in return as well, who you know, wasn't awful, but he wasn't the greatest of players. And um, yeah, just the whole saga. That's why he's higher up for me. I mean, it was a joke. Uh, I mean, like I say, it embarrassed the football club. It frustrated the fans because obviously you hear about this signing for that amount of money. You're excited to see him play. You're frustrated and uh, angry for him that he's thrown this opportunity away to really make something of his career, a career that actually towed into nothing. So God knows what he thinks when he looks back on this now. Um, but do you know what speaks volumes about him as well? Is that when he'd done a U-turn and didn't want to play for West Ham, he signs for fucking Swindon. Now, oh. Oxford... Oxford and Swindon are like the West Ham and Millwall, West Ham and Tottenham. They despise each other. Yeah. So what is going through his head? I don't know. Everything about Joe Beecham is a disgrace, to be honest with you. And I'd love to hear what he's got to say about it in hindsight in this day and age and what he's up to and even how he thinks his career panned out after that choice. But for me, he's a number six for me. I think there's an interview of him on YouTube. I seem to remember watching. Um, I've randomly stumbled across it because I think, obviously... This season, um, Nathan Holland went to Oxford. Marcus Brown went to Oxford. Mm. They've got Hall that used to play for us. Um, so there's like a bit of a connection with West Ham. Martinez was on there. So I think I was randomly looking up Nathan Holland at Oxford. And then somehow it came to Joey Beecham. And I think he spoke about it. And mm. I think he said he doesn't regret it because in the end he went back to Oxford via Swindon and became one of their legends. And he says sometimes mm. he thinks... Well, yeah, so he said sometimes he thinks like he might have, you know, got in the England team had he stayed at West Ham and actually played in the Premier League, but he doesn't regret it because his happiness is more important to him. Something like that. The interview's on YouTube and it is actually worth listening to it. But like you say, he'd be a great person to interview on the podcast or something. He mm, would. Uh, your number five. Right. My number five is um, Roberto. So, oh, wow. Talk- so, so yeah, you have put him high. 
mate, he, I just, I just like the frustration he caused me, you know, like, and I feel bad because, you know, the the player can't help being rubbish. You know, he doesn't choose to be rubbish. He obviously wants, it's not like he was deliberately being rubbish. He doesn't pick himself. You know, he's obviously a fairly steady keeper at some point in his career because, you know, he's played in the top flight of like, a number of leagues. So he's not like, you know, it's not like the equivalent of sticking me in goal, but like uh, some to, to have that bigger effect on our season. You know, if we got relegated, which, you know, we could still possibly do if whatever happens with the football season, if we do get relegated, he is a large factor. And getting relegation, rele- getting relegated for West Ham in the current climate in that stadium is an absolutely awful thing that could happen. And he, plus other factors, of course, you know, the managers, the board and so on, but he is a large factor in that. And um, yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. My five is Florian Radichoyo, so I put him even higher. Oh, really? Wow, uh, I didn't think he'd go that high. Yeah, I, I, because again, it... <laughs> I thought he was a pathetic man. And I think yeah. that's what fuels my anger towards him. You know, he was always moaning. Uh, the players used to get the arse of him. I think Paolo Futre called him a big girl in training once. Dixie, I think, smelt a rat from the day he arrived and, and tried to put it on him instantly, which he didn't like. I think there was one game where he wanted to get taken off. He asked the manager to take him off because the players were kicking his ankles. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And then to, to think back in those days... He was on decent money and only really cared about himself, how he looked, whether he was going to get hurt. Never had any respect for West Ham United or the fans when he came here um, and ultimately missed the, the Stockport away game because he was caught shopping by Harry Redknapp's mate in Harvey Nichols. I mean, he just can't make it up. And I just thought, you know what, just for the man that he was, um, he's got to be number five for me on top of everything that you said as well. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So he's at the uh, halfway mark for me. So your number four? Uh, my number four is Joey Beecham. So we don't okay. really need to say much more on him because obviously we've we've covered that in with you naming him. But as we've already said, complete disrespect for signing for West Ham. Disrespect to one of our, well, probably our greatest ever um, player or greatest ever legend, certainly. Um, and... Uh, yeah, just the whole shambles of what was his transfer. Other clubs must have just been laughing at us at the time. I mean, I was like yeah. probably 12, 13, and obviously social media wasn't around then, so I don't remember it too uh, too much. But imagine if it happened there. Oh, God, it would just be the amount of piss <laughs> we would be taken out of us. It'd be horrendous. There'd be memes and GIFs and all that sort of stuff everywhere. So yeah. Trouble is, we're used to public humiliation now. We wasn't necessarily back no, in those true. days because there was no social media. True, um, true. But you're quite right. You're quite right. My number four has also been covered by you. That is Jermaine Defoe. Um, okay. he, Mate, he you said, paid up front with him back Well, in the I don't days. really like to talk about that, Ed, <laughs> as I'm sure you know. Um, but you're, you're quite right. I did play with Jermaine when I was at Charlton, for those who don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anyone at Charlton. But, <laughs> and, uh, and he was a phenomenal player. But even as a kid, he had, he had such a an arrogance about him, which probably contributed to his success as well. So don't get me wrong, but I'll tell you what needled me, right? One of the, one of the key things for me that put him so high was you and all the listeners know how much I fucking despise Tottenham. And in my opinion, if you leave West Ham for Tottenham, then you're dead to me as a West Ham player. We've had this conversation on a podcast before. You've said that about is, Parker and Carrick, haven't you? I have, I have said that about Parker and Carrick. And do you know what? 
there are counter arguments for both of those, especially yeah. Parker. I don't accept it because my hatred for Tottenham won't allow me to accept it. So yeah. that's why he's so high. And in recent times, Jermaine Defoe has, has uh, had an interview and he said, you know, I, I regret the way I handled my departure from West Ham. I was young. I didn't know any better. I was ill-advised by my agent. And at this point, I'm thinking, OK, you're talking a good game. Then he says, at that time, my agent tells me I should put in a transfer request. And I'm like, OK, read the next bit. And then he says, at that point, I didn't know what a transfer request meant. Now, this is when I'm starting to get the ump now, reading this. <laughs> it's like me. I'm about to buy a house. But suddenly, I don't know what a mortgage application is. <laughs> it's a fucking load of bollocks, right? You know, he knew full well what a transfer request was, and you know, I, I can't remember who he was dealing with West Ham at the time, but he was absolutely shocked and saying, "Who's put you up to this? Who, who is this coming from?" Because as it stands, no clubs are even in for you. Why don't you just wait for a club to come in for you, and then we'll look at it? But by putting a transfer request in, you're making it publicly known that you want out. We're going to be subject to losing more money than we'd want for you because we had more power than before we had to, to grant you the transfer request. But he's still stuck by those guns. And then, obviously, that was a shit time for West Ham. And he went to move to fucking Tottenham. Now, 100%, he's older now, he's wiser, he's maturer. I think he's more grounded. Everything that he did with, with Bradley Lowe, he proves that. And you can't take that away from him. And as a man, he went up in my estimations there. But I'm basing this on how I felt at the time about Jermaine Defoe. And from a footballing perspective, how I felt about him ever since. And how that's why, for felt, me, he goes higher than, than, how would you than you felt If he did come back to West Ham like those times where he'd been linked and then he scored, you know, quite a few goals for us in a second yeah, spell. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, to me, it would never necessarily put to bed what he'd done. I mean, you don't forget things, do you? You might turn a blind eye and you might be prepared to move on. But I think it's a case of forgiving and never forgetting. If he'd have come back, which at one point I actually did want him to, I thought he would have fitted in perfectly at West Ham, speaking purely from a football perspective and, and leaving my emotions to one side. I thought that was a, a, a genuine option for us. But um, it didn't happen. And am I bothered that it didn't happen? No, not really. Because I look back and I think he, he fucked us, to be honest with you. Because I think a couple of players, now one of the players, and I'm going to say him now, that just missed out on the top 10 for me was Slavin Bilic. Now, yeah. the re- and, I, and I was going from a playing point of view because obviously I liked him as a manager, but from a playing point of view, he yeah. left Everton to join, to, to join a bigger club to win things, was his words. And he, and that, and he was right. playing for us and he was brilliant. When he played for us, one of the best centre-backs I think, he's, I've seen. I think his leaving quote was even a bit more damning than that, mate, you know? Yeah, it was something like he wanted to win Everton or a bigger club and they got more the chance of winning things, something along those lines, but yeah, yeah. it might have been worse than that. And he just abandoned ship on us and and you know had no remorse about doing that at all and then we welcomed him back as manager and all was kind of forgotten and another one which is controversial is Joe Cuttle now he whilst he said he didn't want to join um leave West Ham he he did and he joined Chelsea and he became a bit of a Chelsea hero for a while but because Mm. he came back to West Ham I think that kind of smoothed over it a bit and um, there was quotes that he used to check West Ham score and be disappointed when they lost whereas Lampard was happy you know those quotes came out but I think if players like you know, Tony Cotty is another one. He abandoned West Ham for Everton where, like, at the peak of his career. And, you know, then he came back to West Ham, was kind of forgiven. I think if Defoe had come back to West Ham, West Ham fans wouldn't dislike him as much as they do now and probably could be the same for anyone. 
Like if they come back, you know, Parker, if he came back, Carrick, if he came back, you know, there's a lot of players that have left West Ham for Tottenham, Canute, you know, Martin Peters did. You know, there's players throughout and Martin Peters, a West Ham legend. He played he he left West Ham for Tottenham. Um, yeah, but what what's interesting is I find that there's so much inconsistency with who people have a problem with at West Ham. You know, it's like Kevin Nolan. What a signing he was for West Ham. A brilliant captain was was pivotal in us getting promoted. And actually, and actually, when you look back on his career at West Ham, I think you look fondly. I certainly do anyway. Now he's yeah. back at the club. He used to get booed when he was coming on as the substitute for West Ham towards the end of his career. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, Slavin Bilic, he absolutely dropped us on our arse when he went to Everton, as you just said. But he got the red carpet treatment when he came back to West Ham. Now, I don't, I don't really understand how... Frank Lampard was treated so differently and to this day was was hated so much when, in my opinion, he didn't really do anything worse than some of the names we're talking about. Yeah. And, and what, he, what he did and what he said was reactionary. He was provoked week after week whilst he was still our fucking player. Mm. So I, I find there's, there's inconsistencies across the board. But you talk about Billich, you talk about Cotty. For me, with Jermaine Defoe, he didn't go to Everton. He went to Tottenham. And that from a personal level, is why he's up there so highly. Do you hate Martin Peters? It's before my time, mate. You know, I, I never got to experience the emotion of, of him playing for Tottenham and what that meant for me at the time. I can only go by memories and flashbacks as to what uh, it, it felt like to see Defoe leave, Carrick leave, Scott Parker leave and play for them. But Martin Peters, you know, I'm not going to lie. Yes, he, he's a West Ham legend. Yes, he's an England legend. But for me... If you play for Tottenham, it does taint it for me a little bit. That's just personal opinion because it's like the Bloods and the Crips with West Ham and Tottenham for me. You just don't do it, you know. Um, if Which you come from West, to West Ham, come from Which... Tottenham to West Ham, it's different. Zamora, Everton, you know, that, that's different. But if you leave West Ham to go to Tottenham, that for me, it's just, it's just a personal thing, mate. I, I can't, I can't swallow it. Um, yeah. But what's interesting is we move into our top three. I don't know what your top three is, but I'm guessing that we've probably got the same top three, but in a different order. Well, I really, really struggle. So on that note, give me number three. Well, I really, really struggle for second and third place. And if you can see my note of paper at the moment, it's got arrows swapping them back and forth. And I'm still not convinced on which way round I want to put it. And I think okay. I'm convinced. I think I've decided because this happened just before I started supporting West Ham. Now I remember him playing for West Ham because I remember him scoring two goals against Liverpool in the cup, and I remember hearing my dad talk about what a wanker he was, and I remember and I remember him obviously playing football, but not really for West Ham. So for me, third place is points. Yep. And the reason he, and the reason we don't like him is the obvious thing. He wore a Manchester United shirt while still a West Ham player. Um, apparently he was a prick. You know, he had a fight with Alvin Martin. He had a fight with most players. He wanted everyone to call him the governor. Um, obviously, when he went and played for other clubs, 
he was a bit of a wanker, like played for Manchester United. I remember, you know, the booing he got when he finally played against us. I think he missed about the first two or three games that he was due to play against us. And then when he did, uh, he got loads of stick. I think he might have actually scored in the first game, typically, that he played against us at Upton Park, but got loads and loads of stick. And um, I remember when he was playing for Wolves, I went to that game, Wolves versus West Ham. Must have been about 2003. Like, we were in the Championship. And he, like, it was one of the first games I took my um what like my my wife now but girlfriend at the time we'd only just started going out around that time and um you know I tried to be like the big man at football you know I was like sort of 21 22 <laughs> be the big man you know watch me mouth off and swear a lot you know we've all been there we've all done that and he came over and he picked up the fr- a throw in right by me and I went to like inch you wanker and he did the wanker sign to me as he picked up the ball <laughs> and pointed at me and so that and that kind of almost humiliated me a little bit um so uh so yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like I have a personal vendetta against him. But as I said, what he did was unforgivable. You know, became a bit of a. Eng- I liked him when he played for England. I thought he represented England quite well. Had a great career, Man United, Inter Milan, Liverpool. You know, a good player. But when you cannot wear your a club shirt that you're potentially joining. Um, well, still still a player of another team. But I know he was poorly advised. But still, so that's why he's third for me. Mm, okay. My number three is Dimitri Payet. That's the two. That's, that's the two I couldn't choose between. Okay, so... so we have got the same order here. I, I, we... I think we're going to have the, the same three, but just in a different yeah. order. So, Dimitri Payet, every West Ham fan in recent times knows, you know, the, the reason for that choice. But I don't know, and I want to ask your thoughts on this, and I'm taking a bit of a risk especially if we give a certain answer. The downfall of Dimitri Pyatt and the reason that the whole shitstorm started was because of something that he created himself in his personal life. Is it is it now common knowledge what that was, or is it not? Because if I it is, then I, I still... can go into a bit of detail. If it's not, then I probably shouldn't. I don't think it's officially confirmed. And I think you'd be on dodgy grounds if you spoke as if it was. I think okay. most West Ham fans know about I wrote an article about it when it happened, which was read by 85,000 people, because I can see the hits on my website. Um, mm. um, and then I actually took that paragraph out because I got... Um, a message from from someone Dimitri. threatening pardon from Dimitri, <laughs> from Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so in our time as West Ham people we've had Pie we've had the Beatles we've had DMX trying to sue us <laughs> like that you know yeah. a long list yeah. a long list of people after our blood but uh, I um I basically took that paragraph out because they said that, that it was slanderous and it wasn't based entirely on facts it i mean the truth is i know a few people that sort of know him and well know knew of him shall i say through the club and through just like knowing him when he was living around this area and it supposedly is true but whether it is or not he was a nobody really before he came to us well, I mean, hold on no... a minute you're pissing on me fucking cornflakes here uh, uh, sorry sorry, <laughs> sorry you tell me why he's so... So you're quite right. You're quite right. You're absolutely right, actually, in the sense that he he wasn't uh, he wasn't known. He in wasn't Europe, known. Really. He was so, yeah, for Marseille. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, okay, fair enough. But he wasn't ripping up any trees. He wasn't a name in that league or even in European football that someone would recognise. No, I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not a European football expert, but I'd never heard of him, and I, I'm pretty sure no. most West Ham fans I hadn't. hadn't. No. So he he's come to the Premier League. 
and uh, yeah, rightfully so. He's, he's on big money from the off. Performs, captures the hearts of every West Ham fan out there to a point where I'd struggle to go back and think of the last time West Ham fans adored a player that much because yeah. he was just that exciting and, and was incredible. Then in next to no time, he, he asked for a pay rise. Then not long after that, he asked for a pay rise. And I'm pretty sure he might have asked for another pay rise after that. So already, financially, his ego is taking him over. But for the reasons that we can't list, the he was the architect of his, his own downfall. We can say that in his personal life, which took him back to France. So I'm angry at him for allowing that to happen. He's not a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid. He was, I don't know what he was, 28 at the time. Should have been mature enough, should have been a better man than he was to allow what he allowed to happen. Because ultimately, it was detrimental to West Ham. We lost well, it was a fantastic downfall player. downfall of Bilic. Exactly. exactly. It, was, it was downfall of Slavin Bilic, and it was a kick in the bollocks of what was a really difficult time for West Ham. Mm. So, for all those reasons combined, that's why he's my number three. Okay, I mean, I can't argue. Like I said, I was so torn between him and Ince and the papers, got arrows going back and forth, because I literally couldn't decide. But as I say, I think because Pye affected me more, like, because Ince happened mm. just before I started getting into West Ham, because Pye affected me more, and I know the effect it had on, um, you know, because he was so instrumental in our last season at um, the Bowling Big Special. So for oh. that, I thank him, and I've got special memories. So I think, you know, so many yeah. good away games, I was at... Old Trafford when he scored that free kick and things like that. So many good memories. I was at the Everton game where we won 3-2 and came back from 2-0 down. He scored the winner and stuff. So many good memories. However, if he just kept playing, like he got nominated for Ballon d'Or shortlist, if he just kept on playing the way he was playing for us in that second season at London Stadium things could be so much different for the club now because I think we would have had a decent season. I think Billich would have certainly kept his job a little bit longer than he had. We might have been able to attract better players than we did after that. And I would say part of the rocky transition to the new stadium was the fact that our star world-class player that we should have been building a team round was refusing to play for us. And he refused. That's the right word. He exactly. went into training and he said, I'm not playing for this club anymore. You have to sell me. Disgusting. And that's just awful. Yeah. And so that's why I put him above Ince. Right. So he was your number two. Yeah. Right, okay. So my number two was Muggo. Oh really? I'm surprised at this. Yes. I'll put him as my number one. Right. Okay, interesting. So now let's mutually talk about Muggo Onoltovic, a man who I hate with a passion, you hate with a passion, and I think every West Ham fan hates with a passion. And it, it became and again during a difficult time for West Ham, he just always made it the Onoltovic show. Yeah. And I remember after Wimbledon, me and you had been there. What a fucking pissy night that was. Yeah. Um, we, we just got humiliated in a cup competition that he wasn't available for because he made himself unavailable. And then he released that video saying, guys, I'm back. It must have been fucking 10 minutes after we'd, we'd just been dumped out of the cup. And where's he bloody back from anyway? He's still exactly. Exactly. Back from sulking. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. There was that. There was, um, I think it might have been against Arsenal when he came off. He got subbed. And as he's walking off, he's waving goodbye to the fans as if yeah. the deal had been done. The deal hadn't been done. Yeah. He he was, that was his way of saying, I'm bigger than this football club. And if I want to leave, I'm going to leave. In fact, yeah. I'm going to say yeah. goodbye now. Fuck it. And that's when he started waving at all the fans. And his whole demeanour and his I'm the bollocks attitude 
And the way that he put himself before the football club in what was a really difficult time and the way that he left was just unforgivable and made him one of the biggest pricks in football I think I've ever seen. He, um, he just infuriated um, me beyond belief. And I know this will resonate with every West Ham fan out there. He's my number two. Oh, so he was my number one. And the reason he was my number one is because, so obviously I've my order is Ince, Pae, and Alzevich. Now the reason I've gone with him as number one is because his brother, another one, just the constant press leaking of his brother, how this club was interested in him, this club was interested in him. Half the time they weren't. His brother was just saying it to drum up interest in them. Um, the fact that he constantly demanded more money and the fact that there was that video then he went on strike you know at the time all the Arnie fanboys tried to say he didn't go on strike he did go on strike he factually mm. went on strike I know he went on strike 100% and people don't want to believe it because they loved the Nautovic at the time but he did you know everyone was like he's our bastard we love him we need him yeah we miss him I think we could have done it if we'd had him this year I'd rather him up front than LF if I'm honest with you so it's not a question of his mm. ability but his attitude absolutely stunk. And, you know, I think uh, he was just so money-orientated, so greedy, so self-centred, um, and just didn't care what he did to get more money. And he's now taking himself to China of all leagues at the peak of his career. Remember, he's not a young lad, like mm -hmm. in sort of foe or Lampard when all these things are happening. He's 29, 30, the peak of his career. He's taking himself to China of all leagues and places to earn himself shitloads of money and to basically end his career um, at 29 just for money because no one cares about the Chinese league. No one's ever going to say, oh, well done, mate, you came in the Chinese league or whatever it's purely for money and you know even the Chinese league had to bring it bring in sanctions to stop these stupid wages although I think it doesn't matter because he's already got the deal but either way he just for me took the piss out of West Ham constantly um, wasn't a nice person the stories I've heard about him off the pitch aren't pleasant either um, I could tell I mean I can't say them on the radio but I can, you know, I can say them to people in person, but some of the things that I've heard he's got up to and his brothers and associates have got up to is awful as well. And I just mm. think number one for me, yeah. Yeah, okay. So as predicted, we did have the same top three, but in a different order. So number one for me is Paul Ince. And like you, I was too young to remember when it actually happened. But the reason I've gone for him as number one is because it was such an iconic example of betrayal, the most iconic, to wear another team's football shirt before you'd actually sign for them was massive. And I just go back to that feeling I felt when I used to go to Upton Park and he used to come to Upton Park for Man United and the hatred that you felt within that stadium every time the ball came to him, I had never and have never experienced anything like it. I mean, I used to see people, I mean, listen, this ain't right by any stretch of the imagination, but they were throwing bananas at him from the chicken run. There were stewards stopping people from stands getting to him because they wanted to hurt him. They wanted to smash him up. The hatred was so raw and intense. It was incredible. And I remember that really resonating with me and it encapsulated me when I was on the terraces. And it also taught me a bit of a life lesson, really, because because obviously you get to learn about the story as to why this is happening. And it's right. I mean, you can't betray someone like that and not expect that 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 level of hate to come back to you. But didn't and Arnie betray West Ham more, though? 
Like because yes, he wore a shirt of another team, which is absolutely disgusting. Don't get me wrong, but it was the team he ultimately joined in the end. Anyway, um, it was a much bigger team than West Ham at the time. Um, he was a young lad. He said he was poorly advised. I mean, I know that's an excuse, but he must have been. Um, he was just. I don't think he planned to do it. I think he was just told, "I'll put the shirt on. We'll take a few photos. They won't be released until you sign for West Ham, and then some paper." obviously betrayed him and put them out and stuff. And yes, it's stupid. He shouldn't have put a shirt on, but it was a one-off mistake, really. It was that day he put the Man United shirt on. He shouldn't have done it. Whereas Arnie's was calculated over a number of months and months, even a season, constant. His brother playing games constantly in the press. It was just the most calculated thing over a long period of time. Whereas Ince's, I just think, was a one-off mistake. And yes, I don't forgive him. Like you, I can remember the hatred. It was horrific. I mean, no one should ever throw bananas on a pitch, no matter what the situation is. But like you say, I can remember that. And I can remember... um, the hatred, but I still believe that Arnautovic was calculated over a long period of time, and therefore, actually, when you weigh it up, if you look back and you sort of reflect, it was worse. Uh, no, I, 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 I think it's close. Don't get me wrong. This is why Arnautovic was number two. If we would have been number <laughs> eight, then we would have been having a very different discussion. Mm. It's, it's close, but I, I really have a problem with people making excuses for people like Paul Lintz and Jermaine Defoe. As a 15-year-old, I would have known better than they did at that time. I would have known what a transfer request meant if I was Jermaine Defoe. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, would that's... have known I would have known that until I'd signed the contract for Man United, I shouldn't be posing with a shirt. Why didn't he just say, look, I haven't signed for him yet. There's plenty of time to do this. But until I've signed, this is wrong. You must know the difference between right or wrong. And it also goes back to they're not being social media at the time. So it was purely newspaper-led, and it was just absolutely revolutionary, really, in terms of the ultimate of a betrayal that you can that you can make. Yes, it, okay, it wasn't to Tottenham, or it wasn't to Millwall, Chelsea, or someone like that, but Arnautovic was purely money-driven, and he wanted to get himself to China. So once he'd left, he was gone from our memory forever. But Paul Lintz was always there. He was coming back season after season, and he was also enjoying the hatred. He was used to antagonise fans as much as we was antagonising him. He called well, yeah, you I a think... wank, Stan. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I we think... had song going battle with him. And, and we're not just talking about anybody from down the street. We're talking about Paul Lintz. Now, Paul Lintz isn't a likeable man. He never was. You only no. speak to the boys of, 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 of that era. Alvin Martin, Ed butted him. You know, he made his fucking nosebleed, smashed him in because of just how much of a prick he was. Wardy would tell you the same. This was a, 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 an arsehole of a bloke. He was a wrong one. He was, he was a, a horrible, oh, yeah. horrible think... fella to play with. A person and what he did and how revolutionary it was. He was like the pioneer of creating that level of hatred by something so stupid. But when you look at the sort of fella he was, sex. I don't think he gave a shit. He'll tell you now that he might have been ill-advised or whatever. I don't buy that. If someone tells you something, you know the difference between right or wrong, and he chose the wrong option, and absolutely he, to this day, should be crucified for it because it was a a piss take. Oh, yeah, and I 100% agree with that, mate. I do, and that's why he was close to being my second. But I just think, like I said again, with Anatovic, it was over a year, he was 29, he got his brother involved. At least Ince went on 
to better himself. You know, he went on to Manchester United, he went on to Inter Milan, he went on to yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, but that makes it worse in some respects. Does it? Why? At least Why? he's leaving for because, football reasons. Well, because Onatovic left and, and, he, and he was out of sight, out of mind. You know, he only moved to China, uh, he accepted he went for money and he disappeared, but with Paul oh, yeah, Lintz. But only There's nothing worse than someone shitting on you and then you watching them progress into something fantastic. Yeah, but you want mate, them to foul. That, and that don't and no if Manchester United had come in for an out of it and were prepared to offer him the money that a Chinese club were, he would have gone to Manchester United. He tried to engineer and move to Manchester United. He tried to oh, move yeah. engineer no move to Chelsea. No doubt. So he would have gone. Yeah. It's just that he wasn't good but enough he didn't. to get a move. But he, yeah, exactly. But he didn't go. There's a few ifs and ifs, ifs buts and maybes. You know, Marko Onatovic, despite being one of the biggest pricks in recent times, maybe he wouldn't have posed with a shirt before he'd signed for that club. Maybe he would have. Oh, he would. But maybe have. If he was he given have. twenty quid, yeah. he would have, mate. Yeah, but yeah, but mate, you don't know that because it's not factual. We can only go by what actually happened. And I, I, do you know, I actually think he would have done, but there's a chance he wouldn't have done. You can only judge people by their actions and what they actually did to West Ham. You know, Jermaine Defoe went to Tottenham, said he didn't know what a transfer request was. Bollocks. Marko Anoltovic, purely manager-driven, didn't give a shit about West Ham. But when he left, despite who he tried to engineer a move to, he went to China and basically he's going to retire there. And he and because he's in a different country, different division, will never come back to haunt us. We can move on because he's just he doesn't exist in our eyes I think anymore. He'll play in the Premier League. Paul Lynch was different, I think. Do you think so? Uh, yeah, I think now which will come back. Some sort of middle table, lower table team will take him when he when he's trying when if they can get a decent deal, if they can get him on fifty grand, you know, be 32, 33, he might be able to give you another season, two seasons. I reckon he'll come back to the Premier League and I bet you West Ham fans will boo him and I bet you he do something cocky. And oh, yeah. I bet you he'll score against West Ham probably and massively celebrate it. And maybe we'll be changing our top two in the in future years once we know this. But like I, I just I like I said, I just think it's yes, I put him up there. It was so stupid. He should never have done it. It's ridiculous. Like you said, it was an iconic bit of portrayal. No one had really ever done that before. But to me, it was a one-off action. Yes, he came back and was a prick and did things. Whereas now which was all for such a long time. He was plotting things and winding people up and asking for more money. And then doing the video. The video that he did where he came back and said, I'm back, having gone on strike, in my my eyes is worse than wearing an opposition football shirt. If an out of it should pose in a in a Chinese <laughs> whatever team it was he joined shirt before he joined them, I wouldn't have been as annoyed as that as I was the video and the fact that he refused to play for us. I think yeah, but surely if it would have been a Man United shirt he would have posed with before he joined them, it would have rolled him more. Than oh, it would have. It, yeah, it would have definitely. It's a poor example in that respect. But what you also have to remember as well is that. Anousevich was earning like 150 grand a week or something and refusing to play for us because he wanted to get 300 grand a week. I mean, that's mm. the ultimate. I mean, I don't know what Ince was earned but on at the time, but there's no way proportionately to the different eras he would have been on the equivalent of what Anousevich was on and he probably didn't move for the equivalent that Anousevich moved to go to a Chinese club. He wanted to go to a better team and, and at the time you can't argue Manchester United were a much better team than West Ham. You know, West West Ham had been relegated, I think, that year possibly, or certainly had been relegated recently. And um, 
and he went and played for the champions. Um, whereas I don't know, I could, you know, Ince, like I said, Ince was in my sort of third stroke, second choice. But I just think the way and now to be treated us, and I'm actually surprised because when we did this, I was convinced your number one was going to be an out of it, no, no mm. question. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, listen, it's I think it's close between the top three. You look at Pyatt, you look at Arna, you look at uh, uh, Ince, it's very close. I mean, I just think. And there is obviously part of it being nostalgic and from memory and 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 being in, engulfed in that hate at Upton Park, being part of that, and then learning why, and then hating him just as much because people you care about and your own people, your own fans, feel exactly the same. You know, there is an element of that that stays in my heart and my mind, um, without a shadow of a doubt. But you know, I, I think you could put all three of them in a in a box of wrongs, really, because they're all in that league. You know, we've never had a football player in our history, or should I say we've only had one player in our history that's been called Judas. And that yeah, is yeah. Paul Ince. Wasn't anyone else. It was it was him. That cut so deeply, but and and I do think it was an iconic betrayal. That, that's what I'm saying. Unfortunately now, with the development of ridiculous wages and money driving everything, people like Onotovic, it happens really. In, in, in this day and age because there is no loyalty in the game anymore because people all, all they care about is a pound note he did it to Stoke when he joined us mm. you know it's it's I think it's more common now but back then I think it took a certain person to have the bollocks to be such a prick really and by yeah. all accounts that's exactly what Paul Lynch was so as a man and as a professional and the way he's carried himself since that's what nicks the top spot for me but it is okay. close there is yeah. close. If you was to, if anyone was to argue, yourself included, that uh, Mago should be first, I'd, I'd buy into it. If Pyatt should be first, I'd buy into it because these are wrongans really that have have held themselves disgracefully, and that's why they'll always be hated by West Ham fans. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that was that was interesting. That was very interesting. I enjoyed that. Um, as always, let us know if you agree with our selections to those that are listening, and why not give us your own top 10 and see how similar is it is to ours and and let's open up a different debate to the one we had last week because we really enjoyed that and of course interaction is key with this podcast uh brilliant enjoyed that the the one that just missed out the top 10 i said i was gonna do it yes go on mate yeah do it do it this is (laughs) it almost sounds ridiculous when i'm gonna say it because he's obviously an absolute icon of english football and an absolute legend um, but it's for personal reasons, a bit like yours with Don Hutchinson. <laughs> but mine is actually Jeff Hurst right now. <laughs> Randomly, <laughs> I had a World Cup programme, like an actual official World Cup programme, 1966. And um, I'd, I'd met Martin Peters a couple of times and he'd signed it. No problem. Yeah, sure, mate. Uh, where did you get this from? Blah, 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 blah. No problem. Now, Jeff Hurst was doing a book signing thing in Ilford Waterstones. So... And he was doing his autobiography. So I bought the autobiography, you know, I met all the rules. I lined up with my autobiography to get signed and um, took my World Cup program as well. I thought, God, this would be bloody awesome if I can get the, you know, the two goal scorers in the win. So lined up for ages, got the book signed. And I said, so Jeff, do you mind signing this for me as well, please? And he went, stand over there. I was like, what? He went, stand over there like a school teacher. And I was like, "Uh, okay. So I stood over there 
and I must have been stood over there. Now, bearing in mind, I was about 14 at the time, 14 maybe, 15. I was standing over on the side of Waterstones, just seeing endless people. And then it finishes the queue, and he's just standing there talking to people, and I'm still stood there, and I'm like, what is he doing? So I went over to him, and I said, Jeff, you said you'd do this. He said, I didn't sign it. I said, well, I've been waiting over there. <laughs> and then he goes, and then he goes, um, he goes, uh, um, you're like, I know who you are. And I was like, what do you mean? This is, and this is the days before I was ex. So it was nothing, nothing <laughs> to do with that. And he goes, um, I know who you are. And I went, okay. And he goes, you're one of those people. You get, you get memorabilia, you get it signed, you stick it on eBay. And I went, mate, mate, you got the wrong person. I don't do this. It's just for me. I just want this for my World Cup, um, like for a memorabilia. He went, no, 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 don't buy it. And I was like, oh, Jeff, this is the truth. How don't aggressive buy it, mate. is Jeff Hurst all of a sudden? Pardon? How aggressive is Jeff Hurst all of mate, a sudden? Mate, he was. He was. This is no exaggeration, mate, honestly. And, uh, you know, I'd like to tell you this is an exaggeration, but it's not. And uh, Unless, like, over the years I've built it up to be more horrific than it was. But this is the painful memory I have of it. And then um, and then he goes, um, right, I'm not going to just sign it. And I said, well, Martin Peters has, you know, what, what's your problem? And he goes, I'm not going to just sign it like that. I'm going to make sure I sign it to your name. All right, best wishes. Um, and then I, and that's it. So, so I, I said, I, I said what my name was, and um, and then he he did it. He went to, and then he put uh, best wishes, and then he um, and then he signed it, Jeff Hurst, and he threw it at me, like literally threw the poker at me. And, and, I, and I said, and I said to him, and I said to him, I actually, and for me to have the guts to say this, I look back and I think, blimey, I can't believe I actually did this. But I said to him, and I went, they they always say never to meet your your idols. Like yeah. that, and I just left, and I left it at that. And you know, I don't know what Jeff Hurst is like. I've never met him since then. I'd like to think he just had a bad day with like autograph hunters or something like that. But for me, that that really cut deep. You know, when I went home and my dad was there, he said, "Oh, did you meet Jeff Hurst?" And I was like. Uh, yeah, but you'll never guess what happened. And it was the pure contrast between him and Martin Peters. You know, Martin Peters, a diamond bloke, really, really nice, really friendly, really chatty. And then to have that, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna hold that against Jeff because honestly, he's an absolute icon in the in English football. And I'd like to meet him again, and I'd like to meet him, and for him to hopefully be a good bloke, so it can kind of put to bed this story in my head. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, like your Hutchinson story, <laughs> but on a I guess yeah. a, a grander scale in terms of the player, it, it really did affect me, and I I just would like closure on it now. I think so. If anyone knows Jeff Hurston, can uh, sort out a little meeting for me. I won't bring anything to sign. I'll just <laughs> chat normally, and uh, hopefully that'll put to bed this. So uh, yeah. Wow, there you go. Right, okay, don't go anywhere because next X is going to give it to you. Industry leading, difference making, tomorrow shaping, world changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Right, mate, what have you got for us this week? Well, the players are due back into training, apparently, on the 10th of April. Um, that's given that 
assuming, sorry, that the season is going to start when they've postponed it to, um, if it is delayed any longer, which there's probably a strong chance of that doing. I guess they'll delay that back. It's been interesting because if you see certain people on Instagram or Snapchat, and I think all the players are just really, really bored um, because I guess for them, particularly, this must be hard where they're very active and East Coast training every day and they're having to sort of stay in and do their own kind of training regime. I mean, obviously, they're earning a lot of money, so it's a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, so life must be terrible for yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot easier for them than it is most other people, but uh, it must be quite a strange feeling for them too. Um, so there was talk of Declan Rice and Chelsea being interested. Um, I think Chelsea, like all big clubs, have been monitoring him for a long time now and they are interested. Obviously, Declan's a big Chelsea fan as a kid. I know they released him, so you'd hope that he'd stick two fingers up to them. But he is a massive Chelsea fan. It's all hypothetical at the moment because there has been no bid. Um, it would be silly if these clubs weren't interested in him. There has been no bid. Whether there will be a bid, I don't know. No one really knows what's happening in the football world at the moment, um, in, even in terms of whether this season's going to be finished, who's a promoted teams, will Liverpool win the league and so on. So all things like transfers and contract renewal, renewals and who's going to be captain next year and all this stuff is all just guesswork by certain people to try and keep clicks to their website there is nothing going on really because no they're all in quarantine so how anything can go on obviously they can talk via phone and stuff but no one knows what's happening with anything um you know the euros have been cancelled so everything is just guesswork at the moment so i'd rather not report any news than just say stuff for the sake of saying it um and i've always been that way so that's the way i work if it's factual or at least from good sources, I'll say something, but at the moment, nothing's happening. So so that's it, really. So someone said to me the other day that they'd really like to sort of know some of my um, sort of tips of the championship, because obviously I recommended Morrison back in the day. I was saying how good he was. I said that um, Norwich right back's really good as well. Um, and I also said that Bowen was, and you know, he was one of the players that I... Jimmy Madison. But did I, who did I say? Morrison. Oh, did I? That's how so, so much I rate him. Then. I slipped through the net. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how much I rate him. Then I don't even know his name. But, uh, I think That's probably why West Ham didn't sign him, because you spelled it wrong. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I think it's because I've got, like, Morrison's and Sainsbury's and Tesco's all on the brain at the moment, just trying to get toilet roll and stuff. So I think it's probably ingrained. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so I did mean Madison. And... Uh, Bowen as well. I sort of I was very behind that. So a few people have said who to sign. Now, there won't be any shocks in here because a lot of these players would have been known anyway. But um, you know, I think West Brom have got a few decent players there. They've got a guy called Nathan Ferguson who's played either I think he can play across the back line, but uh has played at full back. He's only young, he's nineteen, he's meant to be very um, talented and from what I've seen of him he looks it, they've also got a goalkeeper he's on loan from Manchester United he's named Johnson, he's 27 I think Man United want to keep him but he's certainly better than Championship level and at the moment he, I think he was on loan at Aston Villa last year or the year before his um, career is basically loan so it would be interesting to see if he can kick on at all um, a couple of other players sort of that I like um uh, just sort of going through this list here, I wrote them down. Obviously, Grady's been t- t- tearing it up for West Brom as well, so he's he's someone to 
to keep an eye on. There's a guy at Derby, again, very highly rated. He's a right back, I think, called Jaden uh, Bogle. He's meant to be very, very good, again, from what I've seen of him. Um, he looks superb. Knotts uh, Forest. Have a sense back called Joe Worrell that um, I've heard good things about as well. He's meant to be very solid, very good in the air. And I'm sort of trying to skim through these quite quickly because obviously if you don't know them, it's a bit boring. Another centre-back that's highly rated is Ben White at Leeds. Again, meant to be a very, very good uh, player. Um, I think if they get out to the Premier League, who knows with them, he should start to shine. Um, there are other players a bit higher up, a bit more highly rated, probably going to cost you a bit more money. Um, but if you sort of look, there's a guy, I think he plays for Bristol City, and he's called Han Noah Masengo. Um, he's a young midfielder. I've heard that he's a real talent. Like They really rate him at Bristol City. Uh, and obviously, if you play for Bristol City, you could get you could get signed by West Ham. I think within our, our range um, and then you sort of these players are all players that have kind of been uh, talked about um, before so they're not as I said there's not anyone that I haven't really that hasn't really been mentioned but there's a guy called uh, Brian Mbemba can't say <laughs> that name very really well he's a right winger he's really good a forward for Huddersfield called Carlin Grant now his career has been a little bit ropey to start with but he's really started to bang in the goals for Huddersfield and has a lot of credentials to be a really top class forward like he's strong he's pacey um, he's got he's got a lot about him um You've got the guy at QPR, um, as a, I think it's pronounced. Um, he's been riffing it up this year. Looks really, really talented. He's only young. It's like uh, being compared to sort of Raheem Sterling, who also came from QPR. Um, there's a guy from Birmingham who's 16, and he's called Jude Bellingham. Now, I've heard some really, really good things about him. I, I saw... Um, I know someone that's played against him uh, under 18's level, and they said he was absolutely sensational. Um, Birmingham are a bit in financial trouble. I think they're the first club that's asked their players to defer some of their wages because of the um, corona crisis. So he could be someone that you could potentially pick up because he's... Um, He's, his sort of club haven't got much money. You got a couple of players, uh, Brent. Uh, well, it's wrong, Brentford. Um, uh, they've. I really liked Malpai there. Um, and I said we should have gone for him. He's gone to Brighton. Um, but they've got a guy called um, Ben Rama, and they've got Ollie Watkins. Both are very talented players. Both we've watched a number of times. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if we made a move for them. And Leeds have a midfielder called Calvin Phillips, who's meant to be really, really good. Sort of um, really highly rated. Even talk of him coming into the England team. Um, like people were saying he's as good as Declan Rice and stuff. So they're the sort of players. They've got Bradley Dack at Blackburn as well who he also tried to sign or I don't know if we tried to sign him but we certainly were interested a few years ago he's scored a lot of goals from an attacking midfielder he's like 26 though so he's going to have to secure a move quite soon but they're the sort of players to keep your eye out from as I said there's no one sensational in there I think there's one other player that I was thinking of earlier I think he plays for Brest, uh, Preston I think off the top of my head Irish international um, and he's sort of really sort of coming into form at the moment um, he's called Alan Brown um, but yeah that's it that's the sort of players to look out for as I say no one that anyone with sort of decent football knowledge is, there's no one there that those sort of people wouldn't have heard of but they're the sort of players to really sort of keep your eyes out for 
Interesting. So watch this space because, you know, we've often had conversations that we now have to maybe look towards some of the lower leagues and the hungrier players and develop some of the younger talent. And there's a cluster of players there that you've mentioned that, that could become stars. Who knows? So I would rather th- we sign them, mate, than look abroad. And, like, you know, like yeah. if, you, if you think, you know, if Norwich do go down, there's a couple of decent young players in Norwich's squad as well. Or, if you know, even I just think these players just offer more. Even you think Mitrovic, yes, he's a foreigner, but he's scoring goals for Fulham. He's shown that he'd stick by them in the championship. I'd rather we sign these players, the players that I've listed, because look at the facts, look at the impact Madison's had, look at the impact that Bowen's had, look at the impact that Mings has had, and Carl Walker, and Deli Alley, and all Harry these McGuire, players. Harry Robertson, there's a long there list. There you go. Mate, mate, if you was to pick, like, you know, even... Um, Van Dyke, you know, was at Celtic and Southampton. So, you know, they've made, it's not like they've come from the top teams to be at a top team. They've mm. been picked from these sort of lower leagues and made their made their way up. Sadio Mane, you know, was at Southampton before going to Liverpool. Um, there's a lot of these players have had to make a step up. John Stones, you know, he was playing, at, I know he's not had a great season this year, but he was playing for Barnsley. You know, you go through most of that England squad and they've played they started their career or they've played at a lower league team and now they're like multi-million pound players so I just mm-hmm. think West Ham needs to shift from trying to pick up these Brazilian superstars uh, or players that can turn good um, and pick up some British not necessarily British but British based players that have proven it in this league yeah yeah that's no, hard to disagree with that right okay mate good stuff very interesting as always um For those listening, stay with us because the next part is the last part where we answer questions from our collective followers on social media. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. Welcome back to the final part of the show. As always, a big thank you to everyone that's taken the time to give us your questions. And this week, I'm going to read them out, starting with the first one that's from at Irish Iron 2. So glad to hear you're still trying to keep things going. Do you think the current crisis will actually put some perspective into fans when the season restarts or starts next season and they won't be so fickle or moan about the slightest thing? Um, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think... I think in some ways what's going on now, well, in all ways, what's going on now is absolutely awful. It's such a surreal mm. situation to be in. Um, you know, it's awful how many people are having their lives completely destroyed by something like this that we never would have predicted. Um, it's it's such a horrible thing. But when you, if you're trying to look for positives, you know, I took my one walk that I'm allowed to do um, today with my kids. And we sort of walked around the block and it was like, it was sunny. There wasn't cars on the streets. The birds were tweeting. Um, it There was no planes in the sky. You know, it just felt like a, 
I don't know, more peaceful somehow. Like, I know that's because it sounds apoc- locked... apocalyptic, doesn't it? Like it's yeah, the end it of the world sometimes. It does, and it was so so weird. But then I'm trying to think like what it will be like because we don't know when this is going to end. But when it does end and we start to get normality back, so we can go to the pub, we can go to restaurants, we can watch football, we can go to Ibiza, hopefully, or America or wherever. Can't go to Australia now already. That's gone better. Go to these places. I think it will make you appreciate it more, definitely. But I think in some ways, not that I would ever wish this upon anyone, but maybe life did need a sort of a check, you know, checking what we were doing, a sort of, you know, like a pause. You need to sort of sort things out. And yes, it's horrendous what's happening and wouldn't wish this upon anyone. But when things have all sorted themselves out, hopefully it will make people better towards each other rather than this hoarding of like toilet paper and that selfish mentality when we come out the end of it i hope people are nicer to each other i hope the world's a better place and to get less deep i hope football is a bit more like a bit more enjoyable again like because we'll we'll have missed it um so yeah maybe it will do maybe it will do but then that said you know you can imagine whatever the first game back is if let with west ham lose three nil we'll probably all soon be back to the ways we were before yeah i i don't think it's going to make a difference obviously at the moment people have more important things to worry about but yeah, i think yeah. it's it's in our nature and it's in our dna to to have a moan and just sort of um express the years and years of pain and frustration we've always felt as West Ham fans and I don't think that's going to change because of what's happening now and as soon as this is pieced back together exactly like you say we'll have one bad result and then suddenly Twitter will be Twitter again and and everyone will be everyone so unfortunately whilst it's a nice idea I can't see it having an impact to be honest Mm, with you Um, but that's life it's the world we live in well, it's really surreal because I, I'm, as you know, I'm still a key worker, so I'm still going to work. I didn't today, but I will be on Friday, and I have been Monday and Tuesday, and I will be next week, and I will be for the foreseeable future. And it is a, a very, very, very strange scenario at the moment. You know, like you're going out, and you almost feel guilty that you're out of the house. I'd, but I don't want to go. I wish I could stay in, but I'm under instruction. That I have to go into work, and um, it's just uh, a very, very strange world we're living in at the moment and something that our generations never witnessed before so it's so hard to predict you know it's so hard to predict what's going to happen with the football season what's going to happen with contracts what's going to happen with transfers you know the euros have been postponed the olympics have been postponed now like i just like think life is going to take a long time to get back to normality but as you say there's more important things to worry about and i just pray that no one that you know as few people are affected by this as possible that's right, yeah, and um, you know, just to kind of echo what a lot of people have said, rightfully so, a massive shout out to anyone involved in the NHS that's under a lot of strain at the moment that's helping, and equally our thoughts are with those that are self-employed, where the future's looking a little bit bleak at the moment. I know some of them personally, and uh, you know, this is this is really making people think about whether they can pay their mortgage in coming months. So this is a real dark time for a lot of people, but whoever's involved in whatever capacity, I wish you luck and I wish you well. Uh, this comes from at Christoph 197. Given our owner's wealth is partly based on the retail sector. Are they expenses of our club? That's a good question. Do you know what? I hadn't even thought of that, you know. I hadn't even came into my mind, but it's actually a very good point. You know, when the club are looking for excuses, that would be the obvious one, won't it? You know, I can't <laughs> yeah. imagine 
I can't, yeah. I can't imagine. Like, and Summers' sales have been uh, too great over. Well, I, don't I know, reckon they've gone through the roof with everyone being. Well, I was going to say, if people are stuck in in the house, is there not much else to do? I guess so. Maybe, maybe they have gone up. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that would be. You know that that would be the latest excuse that uh, that because of the. They haven't been able to make as much money. They don't have as much money for transfers. There's always an excuse for not spending yeah, money. Yeah, I, so. <laughs> I know. Very true. This one's coming from at Roy Pierce 21. Evening, gents. Love the podcast and thanks for the effort you lads put in. Thanks for that, Roy. Uh, if you had to be isolated with three of our current squad players, who would it be and why? <laughs> These three pick question. themselves for me, by the way. Well, I was, I was, is it men or women's team? <laughs> You're a fucking nightmare. Well, I'd never want to come out of quarantine of if it was a women's team. team. Pardon? You'd never want to come out of quarantine if it was a women's <laughs> team. Well, it, it depends which one of the women's team. But, but I might not come out of some of them. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, I think if it was from the men's team, I'd probably go possibly them, maybe Antonio Rice and Snodgrass, I think. Um, it's definitely between Antonio and Nobes. Just to mix it up, I'll say Nobes. But I think yeah. you've got four good lads there, so picking from three of them is uh, picking three yeah. out of four is going to be tough. I think um, Zabat would probably be a, night, a good fella as well. I'd be like, well, even I'm older than him, he'd be like the fatherly figure. He <laughs> can calm everyone stuff. down, can't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, probably be alright. And uh, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I've missed anyone. I can't. I can't think of any. Mm-hmm. Cresswell's probably a, Cresswell's a decent lad. Yeah, Fredericks apparently probably, got yeah, some good Fredericks. boys in there. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think I'll go and so yo Rice and Snodgrass. Yeah, uh, this one's from Flano Ten at Flano Ten. Would you rather a prime Michael Carrick or a prime Frank Lampard to put into the current team? Oh gosh, that's a good question as well, isn't it? Blimey. Yeah. Uh, oh dear. Because I used to rate Carrick so much at West Ham. I used to think he was so underrated and was yeah. shadowed by the likes of Joe Cole and Lampard that people didn't realise exactly how good he was. And him alongside Declan Rice would be such a solid defensive midfield. But then that yeah. said, Lampard got the Ballon d'Or, was Chelsea's all-time goals, top goal scorer. And uh, probably at the peak of their careers, was probably better than Carrick. So I think I'm going to go Lampard. Yeah, I think that is such a good question. And they're two tremendous players. I mean, based on what I think we need now, I'd probably be inclined to go with Michael Carrick because I yeah, think you've got Michael Carrick and uh, Declan sitting in the middle of that park. I mean, that is a solid central mid there. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd love... Lampard at number 10, it's a, it's a toss of a coin, really. But I th- honestly think if it's based on what we need, I really think we're crying out for someone of a top level to come and sit next to Declan, uh, who I believe should be defensive if we play three attacking midfielders and one up front, which is the ideal formation in my eyes, even though it looks like we're moving more towards 4-4-2. So for that reason, I would probably go Michael Carrick, I think. Yeah, see, the only other factor, and you know, I feel strange choosing Lampard because I'm one of Carrick's biggest fans. You know, I think he was a, a very underrated player. Another factor, though, for possibly choosing Lampard is at the moment, I think we really lack leaders. And I would say mm. that Lampard is more of a leader than Michael Carrick. Um, mm. And so he would bring that and he would bring goals from midfield. He'd bring penalties as well. Because you'd be yeah. dropping Noble for him, I guess. So he'd be bringing penalties, free kicks, 
Yeah, I think Lampard just gets it for me. Mm. It's strange, isn't it? You never really see many players shoot from range at West Ham, do you? No, no. You know, we missed that as well. Just anyway. a variation of attempts. We missed that. And well, you get Antonio that does. It's just that they end up in miles. So. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, I think one's coming to me now. I'm going to catch it in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> this one's from at Tony Maynard underscore 97. With the supporters questionnaire returning such poor results, do you think the board will take action to do anything to the stadium? Um, I don't think they can, to be honest with you. I don't think they've got much like legal capacity to. So even if they wanted to, I don't think they'll do. I mean, they're going to try to corner off the ends, aren't they? They've said that that's going to happen. Whether it does or not, I don't know. Um, because we often say we're going to do things that we don't. Uh, if we do that, it'll be interesting to see if that improves the stadium. I think it probably will because it will bring it a bit closer. And then the shape of the kind of pitch and the surrounds would resemble more of a football stadium than an athletic stadium. So I think that would that would be a good move. Um, and hopefully that would be what they do. Um, but I'm just very sceptical that this board will do much at the moment because I just I don't know I just don't I just don't have much confidence at the moment mm, yeah I agree I agree this one's from Skohammer88 that's at Skohammer88 is it just me but this break from football is like a detox everything West Ham has been so negative for so long it's nice to have a break away from it do you think that could also help the players if this season gets finished I, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day. Let's just say the games get played behind closed doors, which, which is the rumour that it's going to start again and then all the games are going to be crammed in behind closed doors. Will that? I was thinking, will that benefit West Ham or will it be a hindrance? And I was thinking, probably on the whole, it might be a benefit because the likes of Anderson and Lanzini maybe a Lair possibly, who I would describe as kind of flair players or one, or certainly big name players that really haven't performed to the standard I would like them to. If they, I wonder how much of that is down to pressure and pressure from the fans and nerves. So if they don't, and because you often hear how good these players are in training, so effectively if you're playing behind closed doors, it's almost like a training, a training ground match. I wonder if it would make us better players and also not to have that kind of negativity in the state. I mean, I know the fans have been brilliant recently. I know they have, and I know the marches haven't affected that at all, but there's still, everyone knows how the fans feel about the board. So if you take that out of the equation, will it make West Ham a better team temporarily? And I was thinking possibly it will, but football on the heart will be absolutely awful. I was randomly flicking through Sky the other day and it had an Australian league match on. And I think it was, um, who was playing? There's a few ex like British players, like a few like Premier League players that were playing. So I just watched it out of curiosity, but they had no fans. Um, you got no fans, and uh, and it was absolutely it was absolutely awful. I couldn't watch for about more than yeah. five minutes, and they scored a goal, and it was quite a good goal as well. Um, actually, no, it was a decent finish. The keeper parried it, and then whoever the person was that tapped it in, oh, it's that guy who's played for Reading, Adam Lafondra. It was him. He tapped in the rebound, and it was you know strikers instinct goal but it just felt so weird like there was just no noise and it just 
it's just going to be really weird. But I know what you mean in terms of a detox. I think certainly for me, I was beginning to not want to go to games. And I think now I miss it. And if a game was to be arranged in two weeks' time, I'd be buzzing for it. So, yeah, maybe maybe it will help. Yeah, I, I think in football terms, obviously, in football terms, I think it's a godsend for West Ham. I really do. Yeah, yeah definitely. Isn't it be even better because this has just been an absolute nightmare and so stressful at times. I mean, even up until recently, and I probably, probably still feel that we would go down this season. If someone gave me the opportunity to cancel this season, I'd, I'd bite their hand off for it. Oh, yeah. I really do. I'd take it. I mean, you'd end up giving Corona Hammer of the Year, I think, if we ended up having to cancel Yeah, I think you would. Because, yeah, because yeah. coronavirus, tripping little player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it, it literally would have been the biggest saviour of our season. Um, and I think I think that's sad, really, that it's taken a, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, a nat- uh, horrendous world event to actually save West Ham mm. from from relegation but it would be and I think I think I personally believe it's the only thing you can do the only other option possibly is that you carry over the points to and then start the season with everyone on the points that they're on now um but even then that's not clear cutting to be the best way to do it but I think the only option is to replay the season I don't know what else you can do mm. uh, this one's from at w underscore bellu uh, X and Dave, if you could travel back in time and relive watching one West Ham game live, which game would you choose and why? Well, the obvious one is the um, last one at the bowling. That's the obvious one because that was just I, I, I think it, pla- planning. So I don't know if it, sorry, mate. I don't. I don't know if he means one that you were there to see, or or even in history that you wasn't there to see, but but. Would love to go back and live live that game if that makes sense. Okay, well, in terms of ones that I was at bowling, last of the bowling, I was at that. You, yeah, you, that was an amazing one. You know, when we beat Bradford five four, I was at that. That was amazing. Yeah, same, yeah. You know, even Tottenham away last year was good fun with Antonio yeah. scoring the winner. Um, Tottenham four three at home as well on Sky Sports. The famous yeah. Sky Sports windy broadcast yeah. was was an incredible Hartson game as well. and Kitson, that was yeah. amazing um when we beat man united in the cup when specter scored a couple that was special when we beat mm. everton in my first ever season the cup quarterfinal even when we um lost 4-0 in the fa cup semi-final and Billy bonds camp army i was at that game as well uh yeah. beating man united 1-0 when decanio scored i was at that that was special yeah. um it's there's so many games yeah. Yeah, mm. I mean, I was at when Tottenham when Darnie scored the winner. That was good. So there's been loads of games. So I think bowling one would have to be the one that I would, if I could relive any, it would be that just to have that last experience at Upton Park again. Um, and knowing how much I would miss it, I think you just sample it so much. Um, so I think it would be that. game In terms of games that I wasn't at, I think the 1980 Cup final would have to be the best one because, you know, West Ham were the underdogs. They were the League One side. Trevor Brookings scored the winner. You know, he scored it early on. So you had the rest of the game if you knew what the result was. I just, um, I forgot the playoff final. That was a good one. Playoff final with Carlton Cole scoring the winner was special. But yeah, that I think the one I wasn't at, 1980 Cup final, I think it would be the one that I would choose. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree with any of them, to be honest with you. I mean, one before my time that I, I wish I would have been at uh, is the um, the game against Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah, yeah um, I've heard about that. 
I mean, I've only heard about it and I've only seen the VHS tapes, of course, but you look at the performance on that day, the players that were on display, that for me was Upton Park at his peak as well. That's when really Upton Park was Upton Park. And yeah. um, and just, just the goals and, and, and apparently the atmosphere, you know, some of our listeners will be lucky enough to have remembered it, maybe even been there. But yeah. I've been told that the atmosphere that night was just immeasurable just literally yeah. that the roof came off and uh i'd love to have been at that game but yeah other than that it's it's obviously you've got the the 70s cup finals as well but yeah. there's so many you know amidst all the misery there are some good memories thrown in there as well well yeah i mean i just remembered a game that we didn't even win either but that one against man united when ludo played how he did and we stopped them winning the league that yeah, atmosphere yeah. was special i was at that game as well so yeah there's been um there's been a, a, a few Tevez at Old Trafford in the circumstances mm. that he scored yeah. that in. De Canio's last goal, uh, last home goal for us against Chelsea. That was amazing yeah. as well. So, yeah, there's been so many. And then, like you say, amongst, uh, amongst all the disappointment, there have been some highlights. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And let's hope that we can get some more of their memories back moving forward, eh? Because uh, I think it's fair yeah. to say West Ham fans are due a bloody break, aren't we? Yeah. Right, OK, that is the end of the show. So, as always, thanks for listening and giving us your questions. Please take the advice of staying at home seriously and look after yourselves. Be lucky. And until next week, come on, you irons. Geico presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts create our reality. Our thoughts create our reality. We're thinking Geico offers claim service 24-7 with personalised attention from an assigned team. Geico offers claim service? Um, I-, I wasn't thinking that. We think it and it becomes our reality. So, uh, what about washboard abs? Let's give it a go. Think really hard. Okay, abs, abs, abs. Yep, abs. keep thinking. To manifest more Geico in your life, go to geico.com. It's Macy's Labor Day sale, so gear up as summer cools down with 30% off timeless looks from Levi's and specials like 30 to 50% off statement-making shoes for her and 60% off luggage from Samsonite and more. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and get an extra 20% off more great deals. Plus, Star Rewards members can earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Going on now. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.